value systems are so important because it's a way of aligning on like, okay, who are the type of people that we're looking to bring onto this team? And then who are the people who get anyone, you know, any promotion or the kind of leadership and exemplars you want in your organization? You really want to be leaders of the value system. You can tie back to like and explain to people how values aren't just words, but they're lived and used day to day in people's work and how they interact with people and how they lead teams. The world needs what only your business can bring. And as a leader, it's your job to deliver. But where do you focus? Where do you direct your time, your team, your budget, and your emotional energy? We're learning this together on the North Star Leaders podcast. I'll be talking to purpose-driven leaders about the choices they make to create audacious economic value while also realizing their distinctive purpose. I'm Lindsay Peterson, brand strategist, author of Forging an Ironclad Brand, and host of the North Star Leaders podcast. Let's get to it. Today, I am so delighted to be joined by my guest, Zach Rosen. Zach is the co-founder and CEO of Pantheon Platforms, which is a leading website operations platform. He is also a co-founder and board director for California Yimby. Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So good to be here with you. So to start us off, Zach, what is your favorite thing about what you do? So really, there's nothing better in a career, I think, than getting to wake up in the morning and plug in with a group of people who you have a huge amount of respect and admiration and really close friendship with and get to work on the things that you think are really important. And then in entrepreneurial world, having the autonomy to pick the problems that you get to work on and align an organization and the resources. And then to, you know, over time, make progress on those things. It's beyond like enjoyment. It's like a fulfillment. Like same kind of thing in family life, like having kids and raising them. There, There's this fulfillment that comes out of that. That's hard to describe. Having that in your career, I think is to me, like the ultimate prize of building a career is to get that feeling. I love your distinction between enjoying it and being fulfilled by it because it's wonderful to enjoy your work. It's wonderful to enjoy the people that you go home to, but to feel that deeper sense of satisfaction and fuel is, yeah, you put it so well. With Pantheon, what would you say is the North Star, like as the CEO of Pantheon, what is the idea or phrase or principle that you and your team hold so dear that it guides your decisions? I'll give a little context. We built the whole company around helping to innovate and protect the open web. And a lot of people well, almost everyone I'm sure listening knows what the open web is, but they don't have the words for it. So we live in a world where we kind of take it for granted that all of our media experiences, a lot of them are, but not all of our media experiences are really owned and operated by a couple of technology platforms, specifically, you know, the Apple App Store, 
the Instagram kind of meta universe of, of products. Like the way things typically go in industry is without a lot of hard work <laughs> pushing the other direction is things consolidate. Anyone can get up in the morning and create something, mostly on its merits. If it's a good idea or a good song or media or company or product, there's this amazing kind of freedom and flexibility you have to then scale that really across the entire globe. And the rise of the internet has, I was young, but I remember a world where that just simply wasn't true, where if you wanted to reach the globe, good luck, go buy your own satellite network or access to a satellite network and go through a few gatekeepers. We live in a very different context today. But one thing we take for granted is that we do have that freedom and flexibility. There is a specific set of technologies that's called the open web that's not owned by any one company or government. That's literally a set of standards. And the reason that we have that is those products and technologies, you have to be a total nerd like me to really <laughs> kind of watch this stuff in real time. The technologies and products are really good. We can deliver really good experiences across all of these different channels on owned experiences. The reason we started the company is to make sure that that continues, that there's a lot of innovation and there are really good products that allow people to own and run their own websites and own digital experiences that they themselves and the organizations can control. You know, it's kind of a balance of power. Like the better those owned experiences are and the healthier the ecosystem is around them, the more we're going to live in that world. And the moment those experiences can't keep pace, we're going to end up very quickly in a world where everything is mediated through these very controlled platforms. That is the mission of the company that we have and that we're building. And the, the tangible thing and the really difficult thing is deliver on that by building and scaling a product and a set of services that creates a ton of value for the teams that are adopting it. Yeah. Well, you use the word freedom. And I really am hearing from you how Pantheon is something that you want to live in a world where there's a Pantheon because of what it means for freedom and the ecosystem and for everybody to have that. Earlier, when you were describing your favorite thing about what you do, you used the word autonomy like the autonomy to choose and to have this agency, to have the life that you want, to have the career that you want. It's just interesting because it's like there's this higher order value vibe for both of those. I don't know if that's accidental or if who you are is, well, what do you think? Is who you are, so you're an autonomy, you really value autonomy and freedom. Is it a coincidence that I just heard that in some of the values from Pantheon? I'm bitten by this entrepreneurial bug. That's definitely clear in who I am. And I think if you want your, as I do, like the work that I do, I get up in the morning and I go to work and get fulfillment from that work to be this creation process where you have an idea, you then deliver it and it actually works and makes impact. That's where you get fulfillment. Then having autonomy, freedom, flexibility, to do that is critical. You cannot be successful as an entrepreneur if you don't have that. And part of this, and again, I'm a nerd, but like, I remember the time when if you wanted to innovate in software for consumers, 
your only choice was to build products for the Microsoft ecosystem because they had a complete monopoly, 90% market share for computers. And then if your product worked, if you were actually successful, they would crush you because, <laughs> great, you built the business now on our ecosystem. Thanks. We're going to take that. I knew at that time as a teenager, like, you know, I was probably going to end up building software products because programming and went to school for computer science. I knew that was a path that I was on. And as a teenager, and that struck me as wrong. We're not going to be able to, not just for the entrepreneurs and people building the products, but for everyone. If computing is going to get exponentially more important to our lives, it's just wrong that one organization, one company that's unaccountable literally gets to control all of the creativity happening around this really shared resource that we all need. Yeah. When you think about the Pantheon customer, what does Pantheon represent to the customer? What does it mean or what do you intend to mean? The essence that we're trying to get to, it has this thread of creativity, but it's really about the autonomy and velocity and unencumbered nature of the teams that are using it. The value that we're unlocking for our customers is one where, and this is literally how it works, if you're building these owned experiences, these websites, these digital experiences that you own, it's a team. You got a designer, you have a developer, you have an agency, there's IT, there's marketing, you have all these stakeholders. Plus, who cares about your website? I mean, literally, it's literally everyone in your organization, every customer that you have cares about your web- website, from the intern to the CEO to the, like, it is your brand, it is your help desk, it is a core part of your customer experience. So that gets incredibly complex very quickly. The problem is if you don't have a workflow, if you don't have a methodology for iterating that experience that's really high velocity that people trust, then you get the case that, frankly, most website teams are in today where they're just stuck, where the website's not changing, the backlog of things is growing, all the stakeholders are getting increasingly frustrated, and the people on the team just feel kind of more and more embattled and kind of retreat to their silos and kind of do their little function, but they are not able to collaborate and make progress as a team. So the core thing that we struck on in the whole idea of the product was to enable, to deliver an out-of-the-box workflow that no one had to admit it was trusted and guaranteed and just an extension of using the product in the software that unlocks the ability for these digital teams to get that cadence and that confidence, which ultimately is how they're going to drive growth and impact. Yeah. It struck me when earlier you used the word frictionless. There's this friction and stuckness in the organizations that are in this position. And I've shared this with you before, but a lot of the times, because I work with marketing leaders a lot, and when they hear from somebody, we've got to redo our website, or we have to make a massive change to our website, the look of dread on their face I mean, the look of anything but that, and it is that cumbersome, soul-crushing friction of the process, it strikes me as that's the problem you're solving is, I mean, at the product level, it's creating a product that doesn't present that, but instead unlocks their growth. And at the emotional level, I'm, I'm thinking of their dread. That's the emotional problem you're solving is the dread of facing that. And instead, it's how empowering it is to have this well-oiled 
system that empowers everybody involved, not just one team, not just one person. Totally. I mean, we joke about this, but I think, I think it's true. Like the two most horrifying words in marketing are website relaunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So why do we all know this and we're stuck here? And the reason we're stuck here is the model's wrong and we're not dumb. We have a software company that care a lot about the software. It's really above and beyond the software. The whole approach is wrong. And the problem with the website relaunch approach is you're tying this huge like brand messaging storytelling initiative, which on its own needs to be broken up into pieces and de-risked to this waterfall, super high stakes, incredibly difficult and complex technology replatforming initiative. So you've like this multiplication of risk and friction, which is crazy. It's 2023. We know that's not how you do it. And so we all know this, but what's been missing is what's the alternative? And I think it's on us as leading product vendors and us as the agencies we work with and the analysts in the space. I feel a guilt around this as an industry that we have not successfully yet provided people the alternative path. As an industry, we're setting them up for this pain. And the pain is, you know, we all careers and this is work, but no one wants to go to work, working on a tier project they know is destined to not succeed. Yeah. That is pretty soul crushing. Yes. And I really think it's incumbent on us to get people out of that mess, like help lead people out of that mess. Yeah. Something I know about Pantheon is that people at Pantheon love Pantheon. So there's this very strong feeling of affinity for the company as employees, but also as customers. What's the interaction between this North Star we've been talking about and the culture of Pantheon? Yeah, I mean, you know, value systems are coming out like a really critical tool in how you build organizations because culture is an outcome. Culture is the thing you're, you want out of this because it defines and bounds your work and the teams. But I don't think you can reverse engineer culture. I think people bring their culture with them to jobs. Value systems are so important because it's a way of aligning on like, okay, who are the type of people that we're looking to bring onto this team? And then who are the people who get anyone, you know, any promotion or the kind of leadership and exemplars you want in your organization? You really want to be leaders of the value system. You can tie back to like and explain to people how values aren't just words, but they're lived and used day to day in people's work and how they interact with people and how they lead teams. That to me is like the big lever. One of the values that we look for, we talk about passion. We also talk about is giving a shit. <laughs> Yeah. Looking for people who want to be on a team where other people around them truly care about what they're doing and are engaged. These things are all, always two-edged swords. Like That also means it can feel like an Italian family sometimes. Like, <laughs> wow, people have opinions. You know, it can slow things down, like honestly, when people have real deep opinion, like passion about things, you really have to work through them. Mind you, and I was taught this, but I totally agree with this. We can't talk about the downsides of value systems, you're not using them. Oh, that is, I love that. Say more about that. I love this. Yeah, this is a Chris Moody-ism, which I'm like, oh man, Chris, you're brilliant. He's on our board. But yeah, so the way I put this is the people who would really enjoy working at Netflix. Netflix is a very clear value system. The whole thing is like, we're the Yankees. We're going to pay really well. And 
have really high expectations. And if you have one bad season, we're done. And if you want to work on a team with that ethos, you're going to love it. And there's people out there looking for that in their careers. I mean, I know them. And there are maybe a lot of people who like, that is not the environment they want to work in. That's not a good or bad thing. That is just like a, hey, this is who we are. And you see a choice. Yeah. People need to be able to say, I'm going to spend 40 plus hours a week with a group of people and really get to know them and rely on them. And it's going to be a very enmeshed in them in this work. It needs to be the kind of team and the kind of value system and ultimately the culture I want to be a part of. Getting that alignment is a key thing. We have found people who care a lot about the work that they're doing. And in extension, you know, another value that we have is being just customer focused. Customers first is the mentality. We have those two things where you like have people who are very customer centric. They get fulfillment when we're impacting customers' lives. And they care a lot about the work that they're doing. And you put those things together that we've succeeded in finding people who kind of take it personally. And both uh, like, what are we doing at a highest level, but also down to like, is this customer successful? Or are we failing them in some way? And we need to get, get on it. I haven't really thought of it in quite this way that what you're describing with culture, culture is the output that you can have values codified and explicit that will help you to get as close as one can to something like culture, but that it's a decision-making filter, just like brand is when it comes to more of like the customer promise. And so a value that doesn't force trade-offs where you can't talk about the disadvantages of it means that it's not a very useful decision-making filter if there isn't a trade-off, and I say the same thing about brands, sometimes you might have heard me say this when we were working together. I hear that we want to be about integrity or authenticity, but that's not a decision-making filter. I mean, maybe in some industries, it actually does stand out to have that, but everybody wants to have integrity and everybody wants to have authenticity. It's not a very sharp filter. And Therefore, it lacks a lot of utility from the standpoint of driving decisions. It's neat to think of that as sort of like two sides of the same coin when it comes to culture. I totally agree. So you are a leader in various domains. You are the CEO of Pantheon. You're a father. You're a community leader. What's the intersection of your North Star in all of these roles, the thing that you care about most? Do you have a different kind of North Star in each of your roles or do they kind of overlap? Is it the same principle governing all or do they shift? Yeah, I mean, my personal motivation is impact. But like in the team I'm on, are we really driving an outcome that matters? But I think impact can come, you have to be specific about what you mean. So the story, which I don't know if I can tie this together in a neat framework, but in building companies in San Francisco and California in the software industry, which has had huge success since I've been a part of it. The last 10, 15 years has been, it really is like Lawrence in the Renaissance. Like there's this transformation happening of, of our economy. And these software companies, 40% of whom are Bay Area centric or fully a third like in San Francisco, have just transformed not just how industries operate, but like literally how we all do our jobs. That's a trend that will continue. We're probably in the early edge of that trend. So 
having a job building a software company in San Francisco, California, it doesn't take long to figure out that we're not going to solve all the problems that we see, and we're not going to make all the impact we want purely through just software. Obvious example of this is a housing crisis we have in California. You know, my personal story on that, early in my career, <laughs> this is a different life, but I owned a bicycle manufacturer. When I moved to San Francisco, you could have a job making $10 an hour at the time, $15 an hour manufacturing, this is like 2010, and make it. You could rent an apartment for $500 a month. There was a life available for 20-somethings who weren't just had white-collar software jobs to come to San Francisco and build a career. And then what happened is that went away. And owning this bicycle manufacturer, those are employees. These are our team members who were working the retail jobs, literally fabricating our products in San Francisco. And their whole, you know, all of our communities, I remember happening very quickly over two or three years where the numbers just didn't work anymore. And then people were trying to commute from an hour and a half away or had to move to a different city or the social fabric of the city got crushed by this housing crisis. Honestly, I just got very upset by that. It was like watching this slow motion train wreck. And, you know, if you dig even two centimeters, you'll realize like software is not going to solve this problem. The problem is we have underbuilt by 3 million homes in California. And the reason we've done that is that we have probably the nation's worst set of housing policies. San Francisco, I would argue, has the worst set of housing policies of any city in the country, effectively. It takes like three years to get a permit to build a house, even if you get approved. For me, it was this, this process of asking a lot of questions about, look, we can have a lot of success, make a lot of impact building software, but that doesn't translate into a better world and life in our community, what's the point? And we might, in the software world, might win, but if that means everyone else loses, like that's totally broken. That set me personally down this path of like, how do we grapple with this? And then I felt that, I still do, that because the software ecosystem in San Francisco and California is literally this like train wreck between, frankly, a exploding economy and horrible housing policies has created this social train wreck. It is to the point now in California, many cities where you can't hire teachers. Where is the teacher going to live? So I feel that the software industry and the people in this ecosystem actually have a special responsibility to help solve it. We didn't create the policies. They predate us. But if this train wreck of the economy exploding and the policies in the books creates this outcome, we do have a special responsibility to help be part of the solution. Then that led me down the path of, well, how would we do that? Well, we would help change the policies. I'm very lucky to get to partner early with Brian Hanlon and another friend of mine, Nat. Brian's team, Melissa, and that whole team is stupendous. They have passed 18, probably 20 bills this session to help solve the housing crisis. They legalized a whole set of housing, missing middle housing, ADUs and duplexes and lot splits across the state with these really seminal bills. They were the first real, you know, a large state to past pretty transformative housing bills. We have a long way to go, but we are making real progress getting under these, what were originally felt like really intractable policy issues. And we can see, actually see the path. Like we can debate whether how many years it's going to be, two, three years or five years or maybe 10 years, but we can see how we're actually going to solve this policy problem. We're on track to do that. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for the work that you and your colleagues are doing with California Yembe. Implicitly, I, I can see the overlap between just as you're describing that and as you're describing the problem that Pantheon is solving. 
there is some Venn diagram overlap in removing roadblocks, removing unnecessary friction. And it also lights you up when you're talking about it. I can see that, which also fuels you to be a leader in both realms. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for this whole conversation. I have, I'm going to move us to rapid fire questions. These are just five one word answer questions. Here we go. Okay. So what's your favorite dessert? Boston cream pie. Boston cream pie? Yeah. Yeah. Since I was six, probably. Right. Oh, awesome. I haven't had that in decades. I'm going to go have some. Okay. What was your last splurge purchase? A Reese Muller Load 75, which fits three kids and goes up Benny Hill in San Francisco. No kidding. Like, yeah. Wow. You're going to get a lot of use out of that in your hilly city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would you rather be an Olympic gold medalist or an astronaut? Oh, wow. I'm probably closer to a nerdy astronaut, but I would go with the athlete. Right on. Yeah. I can see it. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I'm actually secretly an extrovert. I'm just a very nerdy extrovert. I'm a socially awkward extrovert. Secretly an extrovert. Okay, I love that. What is the book that you have most recommended to people? Ooh, can I have two? You got it. So business book, there's a super boring Toyota production system. It's the most boring title. It has the most boring cover. It's like this brown, generic 80s book cover. It's like 80 pages. And it's written by really the inventor of the lean production system, which is really the progenitor of the agile methodology. Yeah. So there's a direct connection between those two things. And it's utterly brilliant, originally Japanese. It's like written like a piece of art. It's like crafted. And that, that was like my favorite business book of all time. Wow. And it's just called the Toyota Production System. Okay. Wow. I'm going to butcher the name. Tai Chi Ono. Tai Chi Ono. Okay. I've read this book like four times. Wow. That's a great book. It's a philosophy book. Is that what it really is? It's like a business philosophy book. I also realized like a lot of biographies and I mean, this has now become like a big, it's, it's Oppenheimer movie, but you should definitely read American Prometheus. It's the best biography, probably my favorite biography. Really? This has been the case for much longer than the movie has been in the zeitgeist. It was two authors wrote it over 25 years. I mean, it's a long book, but it's, it's just an unbelievable story. Okay. American Prometheus. American Prometheus, yeah. It's the base of the Oppenheimer movie. Yeah. Okay. Oh, two books that Zach recommends I definitely am going to read. Well, this has been so fun for me. Thank you so much for being part of this. Where can people find out more about you online and follow you and all of that? I'm actually way more active on LinkedIn than Twitter. I found Twitter just like too much of a brawl, but you can follow me on LinkedIn. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks for listening to this episode of North Star Leaders. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on your favorite podcast app. For show notes, transcripts, and newsletter signup, visit ironcladbrandstrategy.com. Please join us again for another episode of North Star Leaders.